0: It's Tuesday, October 23rd, and we are 13 days away from the 2018 midterm elections. This is the Political Lives Track podcast, episode number four. Welcome back to the conversation, and we're going to jump right into it tonight. You know, last night I had to make a decision about whether to watch the Trump rally or to watch my Giants on Monday Night Football, and, and I went with the Trump rally. I was... Um, Posting along with a lot of you guys watching last night on Facebook. And, and I'd say I made the right decision um, first based on how that Giants game ended, um, but also because I learned something from the Trump rally. Um, the only thing I, I didn't, wouldn't have learned anything from watching the Giants that I didn't already know that uh, they're a train wreck. And, um, you know, I know they say that as a sports fan, you're never supposed to root against your team. I have to disagree with that. I say, you know, burn it to the ground, uh, just a total fire sale. Let's go two and 14, just completely bottom out and get a number one pick in the draft. But um, you guys are not here to listen to me complain about the Giants, you're here for the politics. And um, honestly, that Trump rally was much more interesting and much more entertaining than Monday Night Football was. And um, I I know that those of you that like President Trump, you love the rallies, they're entertaining, they're a lot of fun. Those of you who hate President Trump, um, you hate those rallies. You think they're beneath the presidency and you think that um, that that they're that they're vulgar and they're unpresidential and um, just generally not civil. And I've heard it all and I get it. But the bottom line is these rallies are meant for two groups of people and two groups of people only. And it's really entertainment and uh, something to talk about for the rest of us. And the two people they're aimed at are um, energizing, enthusiastic, or ambivalent Republican voters and persuadables. Well, let's talk about those two groups because of what we saw last night. Um, We talked a little bit on a Facebook page last night about uh, John Culberson, who's up for re-election in Texas 7th District that's uh, in the suburbs just outside of Houston. Uh, His job got a lot easier last night. Um, 100,000 requests went out for the 18,000-seat capacity stadium last night. People were tailgating in the parking lot like it was a college football game. People were hanging outside watching uh, the rally on, on jumbotrons. I would say there's a lot of enthusiasm for this rally last night. And if you're an ambivalent Republican and you're not really crazy about Donald Trump, let me tell you something, we're all human. And when you see something like that, When you see 18,000 people having a good time and getting behind a movement, you wanna be a part of it. We're all tribal animals by nature. And when you see something like that and you have a mild attachment to it, maybe you're not quite a never Trump Republican, but maybe you're a Trump skeptical Republican and you're not really crazy. You don't feel the Republican party has done a lot with their time and power. And maybe you're thinking about staying home. And then you see something like this And you see people tailgating in the parking lot and you just, you're attracted to it. And that's really the advantage of these rallies is President Trump is going around the country and he's going to very important um, states for Senate races, but also he's giving a rub to any congressional candidates that might be in nearby races as well. And anyone that's kind of on the fence about whether they're going to vote or they weren't really enthusiastic, you see you see this circus leave town and you're jazzed up because you wanna be part of the fun. And uh, there is a certain science to it. You know, as far as um, persuadable people, I think that's more of an element of reaching people on TV than it is um, reaching people in the community who may be persuadable. But you have to remember, uh, I know Fox News carried this wire to wire. Um, I'm not sure if it was on the other networks, but people see clips of it. And uh, there are people all around the country that are still persuadable or maybe soft to who they're voting for. And if you listen to Pod Saves America, they'll tell you that nobody that votes for President Trump could possibly be on the fence or be thinking about voting for Democrats. You know, that that's completely untrue. Um, there were over 200 counties. I believe the count is more like uh, 250 counties that voted for President Obama twice and swung over to um, President Trump. They're called pivot counties. Uh, so there are a lot of people that were previously in very recent history voting for Democrats and then switched over to a Republican to vote for President Trump. Most of them are probably independents. They're not necessarily Democrats. But people's votes are much more fluid than um than than we generally would think. It's just that they're clustered in very specific parts of the country. Uh, A lot of them are districts with a lot of white working class voters. Those tend to be the people that swung back and forth between Obama and and Trump. And um, these people are watching these rallies. And uh, let me tell you something, you know, we kind of have this image that we created of the person who's undecided uh, who they're going to vote for up until they go into the booth and they're sitting at the computer and they're studying all the issues and looking at the talking points of the candidates. Th- that's not really how anything works. The truth is, is that the most educated, the most informed voters are also the most partisan. So if you have any attachment to politics, this is something that you watch all the time. If you're a regular Fox News viewer or a regular CNN viewer, you probably knew a long time ago who you were going to vote for in two weeks. But the people that are not as informed that um, aren't really crazy about keeping up with the circus they're not into the issues um, they do not um, they they do not vote necessarily based on the issues. a lot of it is just based on a visceral reaction or a gut feeling and I think this is impossible to prove um with data but I think that a big reason why the late deciding voters in 2016 broke heavily towards President Trump is that you had these two completely different dynamics in play. Um, The Hillary Clinton campaign at that point, she was just dragging herself to the finish line. The James Comey letter had just come out. Um, A lot of people were kind of holding their nose and voting for her in the first place. It was kind of something you felt you had to do to stop Donald Trump. And then on the other side, you had people that really seemed to be believing in this movement. They were at these huge rallies, having a good time, a lot of energy, a lot of positive emotion. And I think people that were kind of on the fence that aren't complaining about the issues, they may say, well, you know what? President Trump's a little bit vulgar, but uh, Hillary Clinton is corrupt. And um, I don't really like either one. But you know what? People seem to be getting behind this guy and I want to be part of this and they vote. And maybe that's not how it should be. Maybe we all should sit down and we should study the issues. But the fact is, perception matters. Uh, In politics, I say it's 50% substance, 50% branding. The only reason why John F. Kennedy is, um, or why the Kennedy family um, has the prestige it does is because... uh, JFK's father made the decision that they were going to sell him like he was a commercial product and that's exactly what they did and JFK became a brand and unfortunately his life was cut tragically short but JFK became who he was in the Ameri- in in America's culture because of the way that he was marketed and president Trump um I know he gets a lot of grief because he said some products that didn't work out you know Trump Vodka is not a thing anymore. It probably was not a good idea to sell steaks at uh, the sharper image. But President Trump is really good at at uh, one thing in particular, and that's branding. And that's really what built his real estate empire was you were willing to pay more to stay in a Trump hotel, or you were willing to stay, pay more to live in a Trump building, because it was marketed and branded as the biggest and the best and the most luxurious. And that's kind of how he's branding his campaign. He's branding it as a victory lap for America. If you notice something really subtle, he's gotten very good at not talking about himself and giving himself credit. Remember back at the Republican convention when he said, I alone can fix this, and it was a little bit of an off-putting message. Now he's talking about the American accomplishments in the economy and people benefiting from that, and America is stronger and and more respected around the world. And we need to elect Republicans to keep going. And it's a feel-good message. I understand those of you who do not like President Trump, you don't necessarily feel that way. But you have to look at it through the eyes of an undecided voter who's not particularly attached to either party. And right now, I think there's more positive momentum and more feel-good vibes coming out of the Republican side because... Republican candidates are now so heavily branded with President Trump than they are with the Democratic side, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute and how the issue of illegal immigration plays into that. But you have to remember that um, that people make decisions um, about who they're going to vote for based on um, based on feelings and wanting to be part of a winning team. It's not always about the issues, the branding, and the perception of the state, of the campaign. Um, It really does matter. And President Trump, to his credit, he's been able to do something that President Obama wasn't able to do. By the way, all the things that I was just talking about with President Trump and being able to create a brand and a perception of this positive movement, that's everything that President Obama did in 2008 and was able to recreate in 2012. But President Obama was not able to transfer that enthusiasm and those feel-good vibes to Democratic candidates running for Congress, which is why Democrats got wiped out in 2010. There was not a lot of enthusiasm for people to go out and vote for their Democratic candidates, even if they were going to go and vote for to re-elect President uh, Obama two years later. President Trump is actually transferring the enthusiasm for him personally to Republicans running for Congress, and that's an accomplishment and um, he deserves a lot of credit. Remember, a, a couple of months ago, we were talking about President Trump being a liability for a lot of these candidates in um, in close races. And now, by pulling them into the brand and making it about himself and all of the accomplishments that his administration has done over the first two years, he's managed to transfer that enthusiasm to candidates. And that's why you've seen that enthusiasm gap. It's um, it's pulled Just about dead even, and I think in some parts of the country, it may be on the Republican side, and I think, gut feeling, um, the voters that are undecided in these Obama-Trump type districts, I think they're going to break towards Republicans again, because right now, it appears that Republicans have taken the narrative and um, seem to have positive momentum on their side. You know, it's a lot like sports. It's not always who has the best record in the regular season. Sometimes it's who's playing best heading into the postseason. And right now, President Trump and the Republicans are, um, are out competing the Democrats. And a big reason for that is the narrative shift that's occurred, um, in part, with this caravan that's working its way up through Mexico Um it it's about a month and a half away from reaching the united states uh mexico border but it's swelled uh reportedly to over 10,000 people now um i don't need to tell you again i don't need to remind you that we should have compassion for people that live in countries with inept or corrupt governments and uh which are being and countries which are being overrun by violence and yet We can still feel like what's happening here with this mass caravan is wrong, and it really does spit in the face of the rule of law in this country and our very generous political asylum accommodations that we do make for people that are escaping truly horrible situations. It was never intended for something like this. So I disagree with President Trump. I don't think that it's a... A democratic creation, but I do think it's clearly receiving some sort of outside uh, support. This is a political statement. This is not some spontaneous thing which is going on. And that, to me, makes it all the more wrong. And that sentiment, which I just told you, I do not think it's radical. And I think it's probably something that about 70% of the population could relate to, that we're all for legal immigration. We understand the benefits of legal immigration and people coming here to work and sending money home to their families. That's all great stuff. That's what makes America as great as it is. But people should come here legally or they should come here through the proper channels if they want to come and... Um, and uh, declare political asylum. They can go to any American embassy. That means it could be anywhere that's in uh, Me- that's in any other country. They could go to a U.S. embassy that's in Mexico, or they could come to the border and present themselves at a legal port of entry, um, if they are truly escaping persecution or some sort of uh, systemic discrimination from their homeland and uh, they need to seek political asylum in the United States. We absolutely should be accommodating, but people must come here legally. I think that's a very reasonable viewpoint. And um, again, when you're talking about people that are still undecided, you're talking about a lot of, um, I keep, I'll bring back the saying again, it's Obama Trump swing voters. And a lot of people that are white working class type voters And I think it's off-putting that that very sensible position now seems to be out of the mainstream of the Democratic Party, that if you have a sensible viewpoint, but you feel very strongly that's what's happening with this caravan is wrong, that it does not respect the rules and laws of our country, um, that somehow that is not uh, an acceptable position, and you And I'm not saying that. It's not coming from me. It's because Democrats are completely silent on the issue. So you have President Trump saying, this is wrong. We're not going to let them in. We need to do something about this. We need to build a wall. We need to secure our border. And Democrats are basically sitting around with their hands up saying, I don't know what to do. I mean, that's really... Have you seen a Democrat on TV talking about this caravan? I have no idea what their plan is for border security. And it's because... The mainstream moderate Democrats are running scared from the leftist base that's controlling the money flow into the party and the enthusiasm because the party uh, infrastructure has basically turned over all the influence to the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, uh, far left wing of the party, and now if you're a moderate Democrat and you want to make a case for Hey, maybe we don't need to build a wall, but we should come up with a funding package for border security and send money to the Central American countries so maybe they can strengthen their own governments and people don't need to leave. Um, there's really no place for that right now. I have no clue what the Democrats' plan is. So, President Trump is out in front on this. And this is the dominant issue right now. Democrats are sitting on their hands. They don't know what to do. And by the way, that's how you know this is not a democratic conspiracy theory that they've put together this mass caravan because this is the last thing that Democrats in swing districts want to see. Believe me. Because the last thing they want to do is answer questions about illegal immigration. You know, when illegal immigration is not in the news, it's very easy to write off the things that President Trump says as fear-mongering and taking advantage of the situation and um, creating scapegoats and all that. But when you have images of people breaking down gates at the Mexico-Guatemala border and rushing through and this mile-long caravan, you know, it. and that term caravan is problematic. In a caravan, the idea is that when people would make this long trek from their home country to the United States to seek asylum, they might they might group together in a group of fifty or maybe a hundred because there's obviously there's safety in numbers when you're talking about um, when you're talking about such a dangerous trek. Uh, this is not, you know, I keep hearing that these caravans happen all the time. Uh, unless I was sleeping, something like this has not happened in a very long time, if ever. So this is definitely a different type of political statement. So there is no way that Democrats would invite something like this because it's totally putting them on, on the defensive, and they don't have an answer. Because the only voices in the party are the ones in the far left that are saying, oh, we should just extend asylum to all these people. They're coming in, and there's no room for that sensible middle. middle. And and that was not even the case even 10 years ago. Remember the uh, the original Border fence Act, which was passed in 2007, signed into law by President Bush. I believe that passed the Senate with 70-some-odd votes, and the majority of Democrats supported it including Chuck Schumer, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, all familiar names. Back then, it was not considered racist or xenophobic to put up a physical barrier where it made sense on the border. But now, if you're a Democrat and you do that, you get pushback because you're buying into the Trump agenda. So Democrats have really done this to themselves because they've outsourced the issue of illegal immigration to the far left base. There's nowhere left in the middle. So when you have an issue like this, you can't talk about serious solutions and Donald Trump and the Republicans get to control the narrative. And that's what's happening here. Now, I'm talking about people that are still undecided voters and why this is so important. Um, There's a lot of issues and a lot of things that people care about, but not everything is a visceral issue. Not everything has powerful images and not everything directly impacts people. So for instance, you may support Medicare for all, or you may support a Medicare buy-in, or you may support the Affordable Care Act, but the fact is 90% of the population does have health insurance. So until you're faced with a critical emergency, you're not really feeling the impact of the health, of of us not having the health uh, insurance system that you may support. Same thing with education funding. You know, granted, you could talk about larger societal impacts of not properly funding education, but day to day, does it really impact your life? Do you notice it? Maybe something you care about, but it's not something that's tangibly affecting your life. There's three issues that I consider to be the most visceral that people who are undecided uh, will weigh as being tipping point issues in terms of who they're going to vote for. Uh, the first is terrorism. We saw that, obviously, with President Bush after 9-11, when um, during the midterms 2002, Republicans actually gained seat in the House. President Trump won reelection. election uh, President Bush won re-election fairly easily in 2004 on this issue of safety and security. Even if people were not crazy about the war in Iraq, suburban voters, they felt that President Bush had kept us safe they were nervous about turning over the security apparatus to another party and um clearly something like terrorism uh there's a lot of vivid imagery and you see things on the news and even if um even if you're not directly impacted by terrorism you still feel it because you're it's um you're seeing it on TV and you're constantly hearing about the threats um that's something which um which certainly tangibly affects everybody's life. I mean, we all remember 9-11. It didn't matter who you were. That impacted your way of thinking about politics for a long time. Um, The second, of course, is the economy. Um, And President Obama actually benefited from this in 2008. Uh, I think it's actually a little bit easier to run on a bad economy if you're you're, um, the party that's out of power than it is to run with a positive economy. We're seeing that now um, the Republicans obviously have a great economy to run in, but that does not seem to be the motivating issue that's getting people to the polls. Certainly, the tax cuts don't seem to have had the positive impact on enthusiasm that you might have assumed. But um, if, it, 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 when in 2008, when President Obama ran on the economy, we, had, we were losing hundreds of thousands of jobs a month. Um, Unemployment was skyrocketing, major banks were failing, there was all kinds of imagery on the news, people's houses were losing value. They felt that. And President Obama came in and he was proposing his stimulus package, agree with it or don't agree with it. The fact is, this is something that was touching every American and he was coming in with a solution for it. And um, the economy is certainly something, especially if it's a down economy, that could be the tipping point for how someone votes. And the third is illegal immigration. And the reason for that is because it's something that people feel very visceral about. I think it's become even more so because um, the left has isolated what people believe to be a common sense viewpoint that legal immigration is good, illegal immigration is bad, and we people need to come here the right way, that this is now somehow a racist or out-of-touch position. Um, so I think that has elevated the issue of immigration a little bit to maybe people that didn't care as much about the issue. But certainly when you see people at the border and you have statistics about people coming in illegally, it's a very visceral issue. And there's a lot of powerful images that go along with it. And certainly, I don't care who you are, if you care a little bit about the issue of illegal immigration, and you see 10,000 people marching in unison coming to our border, saying we're going to come into the country legally or illegally, that's going to spark a reaction from you. And President Trump is a much better politician than I think um, that certainly I gave him credit for, but a lot of people uh, didn't give him the proper credit. He's understood this the whole time. He's wanted to make this election about illegal immigration. The issue with that is, as I said before. When it's not in the news, it's very easy for Democrats to write it off as fear-mongering and scapegoating a certain population. But when it's in the news in a big way like it is now, it's very difficult for the other side to say the president is unreasonable or he's trying to distract or he's throwing up a red herring, hoping that you look away from other things because you can't deny this is an issue. And... Trump is the only one out right now that's talking about ways to address it. He's talking about building the wall, changing our immigration laws. Um, And again, when it comes to solutions for how to deal with this issue, he's the only game in town because Democrats right now are sitting on their hands. And uh, it's just unfortunate because I think something as serious as the issue of immigration. And again, I would love to see the... um, the immigration system expanded so that we could allow more people from Central America to come here on work visas and things like that. I, I think there's plenty of room for a lot of these people in the economy, so long as um, so long as they're um, they're not criminals, and I'm sure ninety percent plus of them have no criminal background and would just be law-abiding citizens, but. You can't have people coming here in large groups because the nature of that is it overwhelms our asylum system. It over, overwhelms our detention system for people that come into the country illegally and are waiting for asylum trials. And then we're right back to the same situation where uh, we're getting Republicans are getting demonized for separating parents from their children when federal law only requires children to be held for 21 days. So it's a no-win situation when you have this mass immigration. And, and I stand by... Uh, a status update from the other night. I think President Trump should respond to this uh, with an executive order that we will not grant um, political asylum to anyone that participates in one of these mass migration events. Plain and simple. If you come here in a conventional caravan and you come here with a group of people that are escaping persecution, that's fine. But 10,000 people, that's not a caravan. Again, that's a political statement. And um, uh, Trump has been right in front of this and he knew that this was going to be a winner for him politically and uh, he's completely put the democrats on defense so that's why this caravan has been so important because it really it's taken whatever undecided voters are left or people that have soft attachment to either party and it's brought them um uh, just a very visceral issue to the forefront that I think is going to be the tipping point for a lot of votes. It's only two weeks before the election, so this has really been the ultimate October uh, surprise for President Trump and the Republicans. And my guess is that you're going to see a lot of these um, abstract 15-type districts where a lot of them have a history of voting Republican, uh, long history of voting Republican, or Republicans have voter advantage. You're going to see a lot of those undecided voters break towards the Republicans and I think the race um, for control of the house is going to be much tighter than most people are predicting and um, uh, I, I I think Republicans are going to surprise a lot of people on election night the math is still against them and they're only um, a handful of up upsets and Republican leaning districts away from losing the house and Democrats only need a 23 net seat gain but I think it it really could be within, you know, five to 10 seats either way. And at that point, that's not a very strong majority. And um, that's not a wave. That's historically what tends to happen uh, on the president's first midterm year. So that would be um, quite the moral victory if Republicans escape with a very slim Democratic majority. And um, if that happens to be the case, I think it's going to be because they got a lot of momentum heading into the home stretch here both from Trump's rally and the enthusiasm that that's creating and also now the illegal immigration being brought back to the forefront. And uh before we sign off tonight, just want to take another look at the generic ballot um right before recording. I took a look. Uh the Real Clear Politics generic ballot average is has the Democrats ahead by 7.7 points. That's been pr- fairly steady. I think that's probably um about where it is. Um I would expect on election night Democrats to win somewhere between six and eight points, uh, but I think the generic ballot it 's really overstated again it doesn 't matter if in a Democrat plus thirty district, if the House candidate wins by fifty points or sixty points um it matters what 's happening in the individual districts, and that 's why i 've been highlighting these abstract fifteen districts, so you can kind of separate yourself from the noise of the generic ballot because that that's like um, the 2016 election all over again. Uh, the, gener- uh, the head-to-head nationwide polls were not that far off. Hillary Clinton did win by uh, three to four points, but it was what was happening in individual states that really mattered. And that's what I'm trying to bring everyone's attention back here. I think that the generic ballot is the noise and the signal is looking at these individual di- districts and um, Republicans are hanging in there um, much better than um, we would have thought they would have been a couple months ago, which leads me to think that it's going to be a very close race for control of the House and Republicans look in great shape in the Senate. Um, in fact, it looks like Indiana might be drifting in their direction. I think Florida and Missouri are going to be the um, the two states that are, we might be up late counting votes in on election night, but I believe Republicans there are heading somewhere between a one and four seat gain. Um, so they look great in the Senate. Five thirty eight only gives the GOP about um, a one in five chance, maybe a little bit less of holding on to the House. Um, that's because they weight fundraising data in their um, in their models. And that's normally a really good indicator, because if someone's giving you small donations, uh, it's very likely they're going to show up and vote for you in um on Election day, but the issue here is that both sides actually have done pretty well at fundraising, but Democrats have outraised Republicans um, on the candidate level a two to one now that does not account for things like super PACs and the parties, um, which I believe the Republican national parties are actually doing better in fundraising than the candidates, which could just be a reflection of trump 's where the energy is because. Um, when the RNC or the NRSC can fundraise, they have access to President Trump's signature, so they can send out appeals from President Trump. There's more enthusiasm for something that's come from Trump than there is from the congressional Republicans. That could be part of it. But there's no doubt there's a lot of grassroots enthusiasm for these Democratic candidates. But I think the fundraising data might not be as important as people are making it out to see him. Yes, a lot of candidates have raised a lot of money on the Democratic side. But the key with fundraising numbers is it only matters so much as you have enough money to get yourself on TV and get your name out there. And if you're incumbent, that doesn't matter as much because you have your universal name ID in your district. If you're a challenger, it's very important that you have a lot of money to get on TV. But if one candidate's able to run five ads and the other's able to run one, I think that's a problem. But if one candidate's running 10 ads and the other's running five, is that really that much of an advantage? I don't think so. I think there's a point of diminishing returns there. And I'm wondering if that's what we're seeing with the Democrats, with um, many candidates raising over $2 million, which is almost unheard of for uh, congressional races. Um, Now, granted, that money allows you to do other things. It allows you to open up field offices and hire more staff. And there's no question it you certainly would have more money than less. But it's not like the Republicans don't have enough money to compete. It's just they have not done as well with the grassroots fundraising. Um, But I don't, again, I think that's more of Trump just being the standard bearer for the party because I shared that post the other day. President Trump has now raised $100 million for his reelection effort with a $50 average gift. So those small donor grassroots Republicans, they're fired up. They're just supporting anything that's branded with Trump um, as opposed to their quote-unquote generic uh, Republican candidates. So I wouldn't pay too much attention to the fundraising. I think it's a little bit overstated. And I think that's why when you look at five they're saying uh, an 18 to 20% chance of the GOP keeping the House. I put it as a 3 in 10 chance because I'm looking at the polls on the individual level. And, um, and these are places where, which have voted for President Trump, um, which voted for President Trump mostly in 2016. And um, I do believe that those fringe or detached Republican voters are becoming activated because of all the enthusiasm. And um, I think the right issues are in place where you're going to see those undecided voters who maybe wait to the last week or or two weeks to make a decision that you're gonna see them start to break towards President Trump. So I would love to hear what you guys think. Um, If you're new to the Political Abstract podcast, head over to Facebook and look up our page. We are the Political Abstract, and we're dedicated to providing honest conservative commentary, but fair, intelligent information. And our ultimate mission is to facilitate debate on all sides of the spectrum and uh, try to get people talking in a civil, intelligent way, And uh, we hope you're enjoying the podcast content. I've had a lot of fun um, doing this and and bringing it to you guys. And um, I'll keep watching as we are less than two weeks away from Election Day 2018. It's going to be a heck of a stretch run, and uh, I'm looking forward to enjoying it with you. Take care. Have a great night, and I will talk to everybody real soon.